Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. How? What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fucker baiters? Thank you for that one. I don't know where that one came from, but I would not seen that one. I've seen hundreds. My name is Mark Marin. This is WTF. I appreciate, I appreciate, sure, I appreciate you listening. I hope you're having a good day. Uh, I'm excited about this show. On today's show, Carrie Brownstein is here, uh, the, the lovely and talented on many levels, Carrie Brownstein, who I've never really talked to, but I enjoy talking to her. Uh, you might know her from Portlandia, Sweeter Kenny, uh, Wild Flag. She's a fucking rock star. Maybe we should talk about the Ice House in Pasadena last week. Man, thanks for coming out. I didn't know what was going to happen. It's not easy to sell tickets in the L.A. area. But, man, did the WTF people show up? It was great. Me and Maria Bamford, Eddie Pepitone, Nick Youssef was there, uh, Fraser Smith hosted. It, what a great show. Packed it out. It was great seeing everybody. And I, and, and I got to be honest, I've never – I got a fan, this dude Aaron – brought me uh, the biggest gift basket I'd ever seen in my life. Now, I've gotten some gift baskets. Gift baskets? Man, I'm doing good today. Appreciate the gift basket. It's always good to appreciate a gift basket. So I got a huge gift basket, and I thought, you know, well, thank you, man. He's like, I'm a big fan. I'm a premium subscriber. Uh, my dad's company, uh, we do this. It's Melissa's Produce. And I'm like, well, okay, that's cool. And then he's about to walk away, and I'm holding this 50-pound gift basket with a tamale kit in it. Had a tamale kit in it, had crepes in it. And then he says, do you need some coconut water? So I figure, what, he's going to give me some you know, boxes of coconut water. No, comes back with a crate full of green coconuts and an opener for the coconuts. And he says, how about some tangerines? You need tangerines? I'm like, holy shit, did you just rob a store? Sure, I have a few tangerines, a crate of tangerines. So basically what I've been doing this week is tangerines and coconut water. Popping open coconut. That's been my job. I'm a guy don't like to throw stuff out. So Jessica and I have really been taking, you know, it's a task. We're like, we've got to get through these tangerines before we leave town. So that's been the project. It's the uh, the Marin and Sanchez tangerine project. We're juicing. We're eating them uh, plain. A lot of tangerines going on. That's, uh, that's, that's good, right? It's healthy. So Carrie Brownstein's on the show tonight. And I, and I, I tell you, it's not that I miss Sweeter Kenny. I'd heard some of their stuff, but I went back and listened to a lot of their stuff. I listened to the new Wild Flag album, which kicks ass. I watched Portlandia. I've all, I met her once, and I thought immediately that she didn't like me, and and I I mistook her for someone else. But uh, that and that's not always a great way to meet somebody. But uh, we had a great conversation. But she was at that thing I went to. I went to the upfront presentations when they were presenting. IFC was presenting their new shows. And you kind of show up and you, you do, it's like almost like a trade show. You're like, here are our new products for uh, the upcoming year. This is uh, the Mark Marin product. Here's the Portlandia product. But her and uh, Fred Armisen uh, got on stage with a drummer and uh, I believe it was it a keyboard player. And she put on a guitar and I'd never seen her with a guitar. And we talk about guitars. And, you know, you know her as this funny person. 
But as soon as she put this guitar on to play Do You Want to Dance, I think was a song they did, and Fred was playing bass, there's something about somebody who plays the guitar professionally. Like, I'd only really seen her as a, a person that I was just talking to or as a person uh, on television doing a funny thing, and I'd never seen her, like, strap a guitar on. But, man, she strapped this guitar on, and just it became one thing. Her and the guitar clearly... A completely symbiotic relationship. Her movements changed, her disposition changed, and she turned into a fucking rock star. And I was like, wow, I would love to uh, strap on a guitar and have it become like have my entire being change. But that just comes from years of playing rock and roll, if they still call it that. I've been called out for that. Rock and roll? What's up, Grandpa? Who the hell calls it rock and roll anymore? I don't even know where my first guitar is. I was thinking about that. But I do. I, I did find out, and I'll just I'll, I'll give you this story briefly. The first real guitar I bought, or that I talked my parents into buying for me when I barely knew how to play, of course, was a Fender Telecaster because Keith Richards had a Fender Telecaster, so I needed a Fender Telecaster. It was a pricey bit of equipment at that time, especially for a kid who knew three chords. But uh, I cajoled them into buying me one, and it was a big, heavy telecast like an ash body it was solid it was beautiful it wasn't quite the right color because keith played a cream colored one this was a more white colored one but i was okay with it because it was a keith guitar and that's all i needed to be keith was the guitar when i was uh 15 years old but i was hanging around a guitar shop and due to my inability to play great or focus on playing great at that age what i focused on was uh, other equipment so what I did was I had this guitar. It was a perfectly beautiful American-made Fender Telecaster. I had the guys at the guitar shop. That's what it was called, the guitar shop. They used to call me Bagel Boy because I worked next door at a place called the Posh Bagel. I had them just gut this guitar, put on all brass equipment, put on two DiMarzio uh, PAFs or DiMarzio humbucker pickups, uh, just and then painted candy apple red. And I could barely play it, but I just spent like $200 getting them to two or $300 to make it look like something else. But no Telecaster looked like that. I could never live up to my guitars. So I had this guitar for years, this completely customized Fender Telecaster. And then I went to college and I brought it. And I, uh, you know, years into college, probably my fourth or fifth year when I was more committed to uh, managing uh, cocaine relationships than I was with managing uh, my studies. I had a guy living on my couch, a guy by the name of Josh Kaplan, who now goes by the name of Josh Clover. He's a teacher up there, a professor out, uh, out of UC Davis. He writes books now. He's a poet. He was always very, uh, 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 he was one of those guys where I was always thrilled that he was around, though we didn't get along that well. But he, you know, it, it was pretty much established that he was some sort of poetic genius, a genius of some sort. And uh, I kind of showed him how to play a little guitar. And then he used to sit on my couch and play my guitar all the time. And then came that moment where it was like, hey, I could use some money because I want to buy some Coke. Maybe you could buy that guitar. So I sold him that guitar. It was such, I felt so shitty about it. It was such a unique and special guitar, but it was also his first guitar and he was just learning how to do it. So I hadn't seen Josh in like 15 or 20 years, really. He was out in, uh, up at UC Davis writing books on things I don't understand he he's written uh, i've i've dug up a couple of his books he's a cultural critic now he just came out with a book uh, not long ago called 1989 about the berlin wall and nirvana connecting those two somehow i have a very hard time with cultural criticism you know you you i read two pages of it i'm like how am i lost okay this guy's smarter than me I, there's a few interesting sentences and i think i've gotten enough out of it but i went to the signing of this in new york he did a thing at the new school 
And I, fi- I finally asked him after whatever it was, 20 some odd years, what happened to my guitar? That guitar was special. And uh, he said, yeah, I think I ended up giving that to uh, one of the professors at my college's uh, you know, daughter is in a, a lesbian punk band. And I just gave it to her. And it was that moment where you realize, well, that's the journey of that guitar and it's ended up in the right hands. I'm glad it's being used for what it's supposed to be used for. But that's the journey of a guitar. I still can't understand his books. Carrie Brownstein. Yep, you're pronouncing it correctly. Pretty Jewy. It is pretty Jewy. <laughs> yeah, let's let's come up with the name change during the show. Did you ever consider it? Fuck yeah. Yeah, of course. What, like what? I mean, I just it was well being in Olympia with a bunch of punk bands. Everyone was changing their name anyway. You know, so you had an out. You had an out. I was like, come on, let's do this. And then it was just too late and then too late. And then, ah, now it's really too late. Yeah, nothing. Maybe not. Maybe maybe right on the show. Did you ever think of maybe like Jew girl, RRL? Yeah. <laughs> I thought of just adding a Steen. <laughs> Were you brought up with a lot of Jewishness? No. I'm a West Coast, Pacific Northwest. Oh, that's like even worse than a San Francisco Jew. You, yeah. you might as well not even, just the name. That's it. Yeah, it's just the name. <laughs> My family was highly assimilationist, just could not get the Christmas tree up fast enough. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that was a little bit my sister and I pushing it, but my parents did not protest, which I later regretted because it's like you're saddled with the identity. People are yeah. like, ah, Brownstein. Jew. Jew. But then I have nothing to offer, you know? I've got no, I, I have no traditions to fall back on. I don't know anything about the the religion or the rituals, and that's sad, so I... I a little mad at my parents. Like, come on. Yeah. You give me the last name Brownstein and you don't give me any... Yeah, one any prayer. Sk- any skills? Come yeah, on. Yeah. There's no menorah anywhere? No, there is no there is no menorah anywhere. Now that's... I mean, at least, uh, you know, even with no Jewishness, you should have a menorah laying around. Just laying around. Just sure. Just a, a travel menorah. Like that was your grandma's or something. I, no, it's true. And I have friends that, you know, are not Jewish, Catholic. Christian, just whatever, yeah. that have menorah. You know, it's like, I am, <laughs> I of course, I'm like rejecting, I completely reject it. That's hilarious. So, yeah, that's so, where did they come from, your parents, to where they had to run away from their Jewishness <laughs> No, so they far? didn't. They actually both, they, both, they had their respective bar mitzvah, bat mitzvahs. Right. They, they're from Chicago. And they, but they left it all behind. That's sort of interesting. I grew up in New Mexico as a Jew, and, you know, we, I, I was pretty, we were pretty Jewy. Yeah. No, I, my mom, uh, since divorcing my dad and getting remarried is is now a practicing Jew. Oh. She, she remarried a, a Jewish guy and they had a traditional Jewish wedding and they went out and, you know, she's she celebrates the holidays. Oh, really? Yeah, so it's it's good for her. Uh-huh. But, but so there's time for you. You can always learn. Not that I'm pushing Judaism. What, no, what this, you seems, this is why you brought me here. Yeah, right? you were like, it's an intervention. You're like, Brownstein, come on. <laughs> it's a Jewish intervention. <laughs> I, mean, I was sent by the Jews to bring you back. Into the fold. Oh, I get it. This is like a precursor to reboot, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Jill Soloway just lives across the way. We're going over there after this. And she's got a Seder set up just so you'll learn. What a Seder is. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Reboot. That's so true. My brother's a rebooter. It's just kind of weird. So why, uh, what, what is it with you and a Gibson SG? Where'd that come from? Why the SG? That's a great guitar. I had one. I can't handle it. I'm not man enough to handle that guitar. It is. You know what? It is a little <laughs> masculine. I was thinking about on stage last night. We yeah. did. We're doing these live Portlandia shows. We had Susanna Hoffs from the Bengals join us on stage. Really? And she's a very petite, beautiful woman. Yeah. She has a, a Rickenbacker. 
Sure. And a Rickenbacker just has a kind of like a, a delicate nature to sure. it a little bit. Even when it's being wielded by Paul Weller, you know, it's still yeah. sort of like posh and right because it's got that uh, it's got that Beatles thing and it's a, exactly. a Tom Petty too it's, it's a it's a pretty guitar it's a pop guitar it's elegant yeah you know and there is something about the SG it's like there's two, like two oh, double yeah. double horns sure, coming it's, out it's a demon guitar it's a demon guitar you got Angus Young and, yeah you know Pete Townsend I, I don't know I always um it was the first guitar I oh no that's not true I I had an Epiphone I guess I just I I liked it I kind of liked the the angularity of it and the bluntness of it, I felt like that was sort of my style of playing. But, and I've tried other guitars, and I, I just I like the sound. It's not as masculine, just to put it in a spectrum for people. Yeah, like a Les Paul. That's like that's a really manly guitar. Like, yeah, but it's not dirty. You know what I mean? Like yeah. a, like an SG is just like you just got those humbuckers sitting on a thin piece of wood, and it yeah. gets so like it it gets very it can break apart really easily. Like yeah, the I, sound, and that, you like that, right? I do like that. I I like a guitar that has a little bit of a, a growliness to it, and um, you know, you one that feels like the harder you play, it will react to that. Yeah, exactly. So it can take a beating. Yeah. So. Yeah. A Les Paul is definitely a cock guitar. There's no doubt about it. But you don't see too many of them around anymore. Like the three pickup Les Pauls. Yeah. No. I mean, it's, it's a real statement. Like you yeah. really have to be like comfortable with yourself as a guitar player to have a Les Paul. Yeah. And like they're it. so heavy. Heavy. Yeah. One piece, solid neck. Well, I guess the SG is too, huh? Yeah, but it's still it's just literally less wood. You know. Yep. Like. Yep. They're they're heavy machines. I could never play a Gibson. I, I'm all. Well, I have this one. Oh, I like that. This uh, this is a uh, uh, West uh, Paul TV Junior reissue. I like, I like the juniors. I also like the uh, the little Melody Maker Gibsons. Oh like, yeah, from those the are 60s. Kind of yeah, 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 yeah. They don't have a great tone. They're they're a little um, they're a little tinny, a little a little too bright for my taste. But I I played one the other day in a guitar store, and I thought, why am I schlepping around this SG? Right. Like let's. Get, you know, yeah, get a couple. You should have a few guitars, don't you? Yeah, I do have a couple. Now, I listened to the new Wild Flag album. It's excellent. I enjoyed it. I wasn't familiar with it. Thank they you. sent it to me, and I'm like, I better do my homework, you know, because I, I like that kind of music. And what kind of music would you call that album? So it's like punk pop, kind of? Yeah. I mean, unless, I hate to use that term if people have a horrible association with punk pop. You know I don't know what I, people would call it. Like, well, well, who would be in that category? That's true. Okay, uh, what would you call it then? But no, that, I mean, I think that's accurate. Like, there there are some pop songs in there. They're kind of warped. They're a little faster than the average pop song. Got some hooks. Yeah, there's some hooks in there. But you know, it's it's a rock record too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I I mean, I'm not afraid of that term. There's there's a, just a couple terms that I feel like people have these weird associations with. Like, it, maybe it, that's like. Um, Fallout Boy is like a pop punk band, right? We it does not sound like that. No, and so I mean, I think Green Day is a little drunk and, or and no effects. So there's punks with pop hooks. You know, there's a lot of them, but it's not that. No, it's not that, and because it, it because it has more. There's a little more psychedelic stuff in there. Yeah, and, there's a little, a little more. There's some, uh, not Susie, but somebody. I, I don't know what they, like it reminded me of something. Wait, did you just first name drop Susie from Susie and the Banshee? Yeah, well, I guess, but who knows her last name? Right, that's a one name. Right, was she? Uh, did she mean anything to you? I I listened to some of her stuff. I have I think I have two of her records. You know, I didn't love her band. I always yeah. thought like she didn't have a great drummer, but she was fascinating. Yeah, you know, she had a cool presence. Yeah, and there's a little Lou Reed in there. I have to tell you. Yeah, I yeah. can see that. Yeah, were you a Velvet Underground fan? Yeah, when, um, I mean, I love the Velvet Underground. I heard that on the Sweeter Kenny records, too. 
Yeah, I mean, just like this simplicity, but just like drenched in like a lot of grittiness, and yeah. it's so oblique sometimes, and yeah. just cool. Like it's everyone tries to just even glean just a fraction of the coolness that they had. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it's it, the funny thing about them is how I loved them so much, and then I sort of. I read Please Kill Me. Did you read Please Kill Me? Yeah, is that, that's like the Legs McNeil. Yeah, the Legs yeah. McNeil oral, oral history of yeah. New York punk. And it yeah. just it just destroyed Lou Reed for me because he's such a dick in that book. Yeah, it's hard to read those. <laughs> they just Isn't there one about L.A. now that's a little more recent, like an oral history of... There's a Bay Area one that my buddy wrote, um, uh, Give, Give Me Something Better, I think it's called, oh, okay. which was the Bay Area punk scene specifically. Yeah, those books ruined people. I know, it's hard. That's just like, you know, meeting any of your idols or reading, if you don't want to know that much. No, you don't want another complete dicks. You want to assume it. And then Lou Reed's gotten kind of peculiar as he gets older, but I guess he's just a an old Jewish poet now. What are you going to do? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so how old were you when you, were, you started Sweeter Kenny? I was 22, I guess. Yeah. Pretty young. Yeah. I was actually in Olympia, Washington. In Olympia, right. Yeah, which is a college town. There's no one up there. I performed up there. There's no one up there anymore. It does feel like that. There have been really wonderful eras of Olympia. And I mean, to be fair, there are still some great people up there. But in in terms of like that sense where you could pull in a town and just feel this pulse, like yeah. you know that there was just it's art. T- tiny out. place. Yeah, it's very small and it's a little bit depressed economically. Which when you're a, a kid or college age, you don't notice that because you're well, you don't have money either. Right. It's um, cool. Yeah, it's yeah, cool, and yeah. it's like you know you're just living in like a group house with six other people, yeah. and you know it's fine that all the restaurants are bad and like under you know not up to health code. Sure. And, when you leave and go back and you're like, I can't believe I ever dined at this restaurant. <laughs> hmm. A lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Many times. Yeah. yeah. Like I ordered fake meat shrimp. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, and then later I also found out I was allergic to soy. So I spent a lot of time like torturing myself with like trying to be vegetarian. And Did you give it up? I'm, yeah, I, I, I'm an omnivore. I actually braced myself for your admonition and then was relieved that you actually complimented me <laughs> on my lack of vegetarianism. I can't, uh, you know, I, I, it's hard. My, my girlfriend's a vegetarian and it's fine, but it's like we're running a kosher kitchen in there. Like she smells pans and you cook meat in this. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> she no. smells them. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't even smell my own pants. I just yeah. assumed <laughs> there's meat in there. <laughs> yeah. And well, so you went to school there, mm-hmm. and you grew up in Seattle, a suburb of Seattle, Redmond, which is where Microsoft is now. Yeah, that's I've, like when you were growing up, though. That was it wasn't like that, right? It was. You saw that happen, didn't you? Yeah, it was quite rural, and uh, yeah, you know, a lot of like bicycling and very naturey. And then there was actually a um, this forest not too far from my house, and they, you know, they raised all the trees. And then they put this office park in, and in order to sort of compensate for the destruction of of the greenery, they called it Evergreen Place. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and this will fool them. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, this looks different. No, it's still Evergreen. Yeah. And uh, there, one of the, the offices in that cluster was was Microsoft. And eventually, you know, they tore down Evergreen Place, and it was Microsoft Place. And now it's a a veritable campus. It's huge. It yeah. is, uh, you know, synonymous with. Uh, Redmond. And do do you, does it bother you? I mean, only only in that way where you know you ever, you sort of have this one view of your your childhood, and it's it's kind of hard to reconcile. Like right. the, the place is so vastly different. Right. But I, none of my family lives there anymore, so I I can still just kind of keep it as this like bucolic, 
like romanticized thing in my mind and I never have to see it. And you grew up your whole life in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. So you're sort of wired with that weird rocky gray northern thing. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Rain. A little bit depressive. You yeah, know. but the big trees and the coastline and the seafood. Yeah, it's no. great. Sense of space. Yeah. A little bit of like a pioneer, like outlaw spirit. Yeah. You know? I'm I'm sort of drawn to it. I mean, Seattle feels a little staid now, but like that, the landscape up there is really compelling to me. Like M- Mount Rainier and all that stuff, and just you know, driving around up on the coast up there is beautiful. Yeah, I mean, to me, like I don't like that's how I relate to landscape. Like everything is huge, you know. Like there's no flatness. There's always like contrast. You and yeah. you always have the sense that you're sort of surrounded by all of it. You know, you have the ocean on one side. You can see the mountains and yeah. the trees. Like it's just jagged and yeah. And very dense. Dramatic. It's not like yeah. these wimpy beaches down here where it's just sort of like, just hang out. It's <laughs> yeah, a little no, more challenging. There's no just hanging out. Yeah. And like the, the notion of like outdoor indoor in the Northwest is com- completely blurry because you're always just like tracking in dirt. You know, people's houses are sort of damp. And <laughs> yeah. No one uses an umbrella too. That's always funny to me up there. I know. It, it took me until this year. To, to use an umbrella? Yeah. And I've lost four of them. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're not, you can't buy the good ones. No, does don't it, ever buy the good ones. Yeah, like a Burberry umbrella. No, don't no. do it. Just no, a, I won't. Same four dollar umbrella. Same with sunglasses. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In New York, don't ever pay more than four dollars for one of those umbrellas. Okay. I'll and do. if they try to charge you five, just be a dick and just like, no, I'm not paying that, and walk away. And they'll be like, okay, okay, and then you have a four dollar charge garbage right. umbrella. I'm glad I came here for this advice. <laughs> <laughs> but now, okay, so you're 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 you guys played some pretty hardcore music, and you got pretty well known. Um, what were you watching though? What, what drove you to that? I mean, did you were you did you go watch the bands in Seattle? Was there something else going on? What who did you see? What made you go like fuck yeah, I'm doing this? Well, yeah. So I was in the suburbs. So there's always that, a little bit of a disconnect between the, your suburban upbringing and the the city that's nearby. But there was definitely stuff going on there. Um, Nirvana. So this was like. Did you see him? I saw them with Mud Honey and Bikini Kill at the Mud Honey at the Moore Theater, which was my senior year of high school. Were they already huge or not yet? It, it was right before um, Smells Like uh, Oh yeah, Nevermind came out. Sorry, it's right before Nevermind. I actually also saw them open up for Sonic Youth in 1990 um, when it, it was either 90 or 91 when Goo came out. It sounds like Sonic Youth really uh, kind of influenced Sweeter Kenny. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. No. For, <laughs> You're totally wrong. <laughs> Damn it. I just threw that out there. I felt good about it. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, for sure. I mean, I think, like, just some, with something sort of experimental coursing through it, like, it just, they they could always do that way better than, than we could. But I, just everything from the longevity to the, like, interplay of the guitars to the kind of, like, egalitarian nature of their music, but that it was always, like, pushing they always felt like they were pushing themselves on every record that was Didn't really you, exciting yeah but i always how, i don't know maybe it's just me but like i got to a point where a new sonic youth album would come out and be like no nah, i get it I, I get it yeah no you have to be <laughs> you have to be careful of that no not you as a listener but no, sure. oh, <laughs> um, as a musician uh, yeah you know you don't um it's not like it's full of hooks either it's just like no, i, I get this sound <laughs> it's not full of hooks i remember seeing them when slater came. we we opened for them and they did this thing where they did a 40 minute experimental set uh, this was at a huge outdoor stadium like a 40 minute experimental set experimental set and then one song 
I thought, wow, you are sticking it to those guys. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're really was, showing that audience that came to see you. But it was also awesome. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's it's sort of like that kind of boldness, yeah. You know, and is is cool and it's admirable. But it's definitely it's definitely a choice. Like you have to say, like, you know, that you have to trust. Like, yeah, I guess the audience will come with us. Yeah, and you know they have. But um, yeah, that was we never did that, but. <laughs> yeah. Are you guys in the museum? Do you, are you represented in the rock and roll? Uh, at, what's it called? The, the experiment. Yeah, the EM. EMP. Yeah, I, went, I went to the EMP. You did. It's like a room full of Hendrix, a room full of Nirvana, and then they had some sort of Avatar exhibit and the Battlestar Galactica ship. Oh, you just went there then? Isn't yeah. <laughs> I only know that because I had a friend that we were in Seattle. And she was like, I have to go to see this BSG exhibit. The Battlestar, so you went too? I didn't go. She <laughs> she went, um, yeah, I, you know what? I I do have a guitar in there. Do you? Yeah. And an SG? It's an Epiphone, actually. Oh, you gave copy. one, the, the yeah. one you were done with? Yeah. Like a, <laughs> sure, you can have the one I don't use anymore. Yeah. This was one. it broken? Did you write on it? Were there stickers on it? No, I never put stickers on guitar. No, good for you. I just, it's aesthetic. It's kind of like seeing a tattoo. It's like there's the way it's supposed to look. And right. then it's like, ah, you just, yeah. like, your eyes are always, right. <clears throat> always drawn to the sticker. And it's never a sticker that you like the next year. Oh, yeah, it's stupid. It's And then you've done that to your guitar. Yeah. And yeah. it's almost impossible to get off. Yeah. Um, well, good. I'm I, I'm very impressed. No longer vegetarian, and you didn't fuck with your guitar surfaces. Yeah, I'm done. I'm fine. I'm doing okay. So, okay, look. So now you're growing up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right before your eyes. <laughs> it's happening right here. <laughs> what? How? How was the sexual identity thing hung on, Sweeter Kenny? I mean, you mean gender identity? Well, gender identity, but also like it was sort of known as like. We were sort of called a lesbian punk band, weren't you? Right, even though none of us were lesbians. Right. Why did that happen? Well, I think, I mean, especially at that time. It's hard to tell in Washington. Isn't it? <laughs> you know where I think it's harder to tell? In Portland? <laughs> Actually, like, in the Midwest, like. Oh, right, right. Mo- Midwest moms. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, it's like there's this, like, this woman with like a shaved head and like uh-huh. a, a college sweatshirt. Yeah. And she's got her like two kids. Uh-huh. Her sons, they both play football. Right. And her husband. Yeah. And just like. Okay, yeah. Just a big carload of butch. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's awesome. But to me, that's A little work. trickier. A right. little trickier. Um, but I, I understand. You know, there's a lot of fleece in the Northwest. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. it's not, I guess it's not a feminine fabric that we thought it was. Um, it is soft, though. Yeah. Uh, so. Practical. It is practical. There's a, there is a lot of, like, practical, sure. like, you know, a practical dress code there. Sure. Shoes, warmth. Yeah. You know, try to stay dry, kind of. Yeah. A lot of REI stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, that's not, like, form-fitting. Right. Oh, no. You know? <laughs> no, no, there's no reason to, to define yourself that way. No. As having a form. <laughs> no, it's just, like, these shapeless oafs yeah. kind of yeah. moving around. Right. like yeah. Like clouds. Earth nerds, I call them. Oh. <laughs> um, I guess, I think with Slater Kinney, especially in, like, a very, like, crude way people just conflated like oh it's an all-girl band why they probably don't like dudes you know right. like they have to be set up in opposition to this or well it had something to know. do with the punk thing too the punk thing i mean and- i don't think anyone thought the bangles were a bunch of lesbians no <laughs> i mean or the go-go's for that matter yeah no i and i think also we weren't in los angeles you know we weren't trying right like the image was not a part of Slater Kinney or even punk at that time you know right. it was it was almost trying to just like obfuscate you know what it meant to be like 
female or feminine or like to mess with that or subvert it. So I think once you start doing that, then you're desexualized. And once you're desexualized, you're a lesbian. Yeah, right. You know, right. from the male. I don't get it. Can't see your boobs. <laughs> yeah. So from, yeah. from the male perspective, and, and, yeah. and, and it was also like an interesting, you know, just media story. But no, I mean, I think at the same time, like, I think that, you know, music, a lot of artists from David Bowie to Mick Jagger, I mean, it's pretty common to sort of like pedal in this kind of sexual ambiguity. Yeah, sure. Um, but what's hard is when it, you feel like that's sort of pigeonholing you. Yeah. You know, like you get labeled that and then you're you're never never able to just kind of transcend it or to be just considered a band. So we just spent a lot of time just waiting for people to stop putting, you know, these like descriptors in front of us that were like, gay, female, this, that. It's like, when is it just we're a band? And did it happen? Yeah, it took a lot. How, how many records later? <laughs> it took about four records, I think. Oh, my God. And and it, then it was a relief. You know, when, yeah. they, when, when we stopped being compared to only female bands, as if right. there's just like this tiny little lineage. You right. know, we never sounded like the Go-Go's. Yeah. You know, so it was like all of a sudden when someone compares you to television or then you're, Wire, like, you just feel this huge sense of relief. Oh, yeah. And I love it when male bands are you know like they get compared to women i'm like it's all it's just all music you know yeah, like, and also like at that time too like it seemed with nirvana and that whole sort of pacific northwest thing the whole you know, like look was not it was again it was anti-look yeah like you, you know <laughs> for better or worse i mean now you i look back i'm like we could have i could have just shaped my eyebrows a little bit <laughs> you know would that have been so hard that's the mature carrie <laughs> saying why couldn't i just made it a little pretty yeah <laughs> But even at the time, I never even thought of that. Like that just that wasn't going to exist. Now the last album, which was the last album you did, The Woods, and that was sort of um, hailed as a masterpiece by some people, <laughs> by one or two people. That's fine. That's enough. Take it. No, hey, I am proud of that album. That was what we were talking about earlier of trying to surprise people. You yeah, know, I think we had gotten to a point where we even thought we know what our next record is going to sound like. You know. People are going to put this on, and or they're not going to put it on because they're going to assume they know. And we changed labels, and we re- went into the woods and recorded with this guy Dave Fridman, who'd worked with the Flaming Lips, and he, you know, he turned it out. He said, if he said on every song that you hear, there should be a moment where someone actually has to turn to the speaker and wonder what happened. I, it happened to me yesterday. I was listening to it again. Okay. And I thought that, like, is my plug not in right? <laughs> that's great. I love that. If you think something's wrong, that's a good moment. Because there, there's, a, there's a guitar tone on there that is so distorted and, and kind of, like, breaking apart. Yeah, but I, then your voice sounded normal. So I'm like, no, they, that's on purpose. Yeah. No, it's pretty blown out, that whole record. Yeah. That's, what you, that's something you want people to hear when they listen to your record. No, I think that's on purpose. <laughs> that, like, I think we just got to listen to it a couple times. Yeah, to get used to it. <laughs> This is going to hurt for four times, and then it will feel good. So, okay. Now you live in Portland, mm-hmm. which is one of the weirder places I've ever been. It is a little weird. I don't I don't understand what's happening there. Okay. <laughs> this is... Oh, everything got really sensitive. <laughs> no, I've, I've, I've performed up there two or three times, and I, I've said it when I was there. I said, I've never had a feeling where whenever I'm in Portland, I walk around, and I feel like people are looking at me like um all right he doesn't know we'll discuss it later wow. like like i feel like there's something going on there that they're they're all meeting later <laughs> <laughs> and and i'm an outsider huh. is that possible it's hard for me to say because i mean i've lived there now for a decade a decade and i've you know i grew up not so far from there so i the sort of in group out group dynamic i've always 
felt in there. Sure. Um, but, How would you characterize it? I mean, obviously, the show Portlandia skews it all pretty well, mm-hmm. the full range of the types of people that are there. But it is a weird combination, no? Yeah. No, it's it's definitely like a, a combination of sort of hypersensitivity, um, a little over-analytical, um, privileged, you know, for the most part. And white? I, it's pretty white. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I don't. Like I'm careful now to note that like I love I love living there, but I definitely like it's it's a self conscious city. I think it just it doesn't have a sense of self yet the way like Seattle does or San right. Francisco. Like you go to Portland and it just it's there's part of it that seems so ephemeral, which I can see that that would be alienating. Like just kind of looking around and you know people are, there's like this sort of vagueness to it, but that could come across like as if they know what they're doing. But I I think Portland still has like some growing pains that. It takes a little bit to like settle into. Well, do you think it's one of the, I thought I felt that was one of those places that people go when they leave somewhere else, very yeah. intentionally for very specific reasons. Don't you feel? I feel like San Francisco was like that before. Like you would go, no one was from San Francisco. People went there like to come out, or people went there to do the like. It was like this sort of destination, and but it, it's a weirdness thing. It gave it a transient quality. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel that that's a good point because I feel that there too. Like I lived there for. A couple of years, and I never could figure out what the fuck was going on there. Like, I, I literally felt like I was sort of sliding, like the, that the city had no anchor. Yeah. And it was disconcerting, because I, I hear I kind of get it. In New York, you definitely get it. But San Francisco, it's beautiful. Everyone seems to be having a good time. But I'm nervous, and I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, And, I, okay. and I, I felt that same thing in, in Portland. I'm like, well, I can't get a, I can't wrap my brain around with, who's in charge here? Right. Yeah. No, no one. It's just sheer anarchy. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it, I think a lot of people move to Portland, though, to do less, which I think is an, in, in the inverse of the norm. You know, people go from working these 50 or 60 hour weeks mm-hmm. in bigger cities. They go to Portland, they can work less because it's, you know, not as expensive and they right. go to sort of improve their quality of life. So that like kind of environment of of leisure. Yeah. Is a different kind of stream to like join than another kind. And you got bunk sandwiches; those are good. There's it's there's such good food and, there. And um, the the big biscuit place, Pine State. Yeah, Pine State biscuits. That's good. Yeah. You just name like a thing, like biscuit, and then yeah. I'll say <laughs> yeah, Pine bunk State. sandwiches. <laughs> yeah, good food. Amazing food. Yeah, I mean it's it's not like, totally accurate to say that people aren't doing things there, but they're they're doing things that are sort of like cu- highly curated and very creative and. Mm-hmm. You know, so how did you get into uh, comedy? Well, mostly via Fred, you know, Armisen, who. How did you know him though? I mean, like to... through music. So he was a fan of Slater Kinney, and when when his first year of SNL, um, he invited us. We were playing in the New band. York. The band, sorry. So he invited Slater Kinney to the after party because we couldn't go to the show because we had our own show. So we played our gig and we went went to um, the after party. Yeah. and I met him and we hit it off. And did you date? We did not date. Mm. No, which actually we both would agree, but I'm certain is why we're still really good friends. Really? Yeah. I mean, I think that like was there a discussion? Yeah, there there have been discussions. Oh, ongoing. <laughs> There's an ongoing discussion. We re- we revisit that. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, but now it's even more like we now we for sure need to just be friends. 
you sure. Know, it's definitely like. Come on, uh, you can fuck up the third season. You got the second <laughs> one in the can. It's time to ditch it. You know Did how you say you can roll. fuck up the third season or we can fuck on the third no, season? No, fuck on the third season <laughs> and fuck it up midway through. <laughs> Wait for season three. It's yeah, gonna so it's going to be a doozy. No, it's, I think it's, um, we have a very intimate friendship in a platonic way. But yeah, so we, but what we, because we weren't going to date, but we still like approached it with that energy. It was like a, a kind of a crushed out feeling of. Yeah. Wanting to be around someone, but then realizing that that's weird if you're not sleeping together or dating. So we just did projects, which can kind of take on the same energy. Oh, yeah. The intensity. Yeah. Sort of like, God, I wish we were. No, just focus. <laughs> yeah, let's, yeah. Let's focus. Let's write this. <laughs> but I mean, we're, we're sort of overplaying. Like, you know, it wasn't there wasn't like a bunch of just sexual tension that we were trying to avoid. We really were just excited to work together. And so we would just make these little vignettes. We put it under the moniker Thunder Ant. Mm-hmm. And it was very silly. Silly, not even trying to be funny, often not funny, just kind of dwelling on a single moment for way too long. Right. You know, until it just kind of fell apart into absurdity. And And that uh, happens a lot in Portlandia. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of times I just think it's not even trying to be funny. It's just, you know, it's like we're just it's just an obsess an obsession over a moment or a dynamic and that's the key to the comedy in that show because that that like I've laughed out loud at the show, which is not easy. It's gotten a little easier in general, but that's my my thing. But uh, the the scene where you know he's surrounded by gadgets. Oh and, yeah, you know, can, technology what, loop. Yeah, the technology loop. That was fucking hilarious. It was a little too close to home for me, but it was very funny. Yeah, that's close to home for me too. Sometimes I'm sitting on my couch watching television. I have my phone to the left of me, and I have like an iPad or a computer. Sometimes both. Mm-hmm. And my experience of watching television, which is already a screen, is being mediated through like four other screens four or five conversations you know a couple text messages it's just like i don't even know you're just a hub yeah exactly like (laughs) i am my little wi-fi route i'm a router yeah you're a router (laughs) yeah no it's it's pretty bad but is it bad i mean like how do you like do you how deep do you think about stuff like that i think about it kind of a lot i mean it's just something i'm always interested in the way like technology mediates our relationships like i'm oh, sure there's yeah. nothing unmediated now yeah clearly and we choose mediation because there's less emotional risk a lot of times yeah and, and i think it does like foment a lot of disconnect people sort of claim that many people claim the opposite like right. i'm more connected Interconnected. no yeah i i find it ex- exactly the opposite like i feel so fragmented that like w- what piece of me is still whole enough to like actually forge something real like those i have to work so much harder in, in in a very intentional way with my friends because I feel like, you know, everything's so compartmentalized. It's begin- It's The sad thing is, is, not just compartmentalized, but I mean, the vision of you, you know, sitting on a couch with a TV on, your iPad and a phone and thinking like that you couldn't be more connected, but it's one of the most, it's a lonely portrait. It's so lonely. <laughs> I'm still alone. Right. I Yeah, I actually, there was, a, there was a night where I was plugging everything into charge and yeah. I just thought like, I have more... Like Mac products and friends. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And even when you buy a cord at a Mac store, it's like, oh, look at it. It's so pretty. I know. It's it so pretty. Right in there. Yeah. It's just great. Like, I just got an iPhone, like, recently. Oh, for the, your first one? Yes. Oh, so you're a new convert. Yes. Yeah. And, like, uh, and you don't know what it does until you have to do something or until something happens by accident. But it, I, I, it frightens me that real interaction has become sort of draining hasn't it yeah i mean not draining but it's just like you gotta show up yeah you can't just you know 
No, I, I find myself, like if I make plans too many days in advance, I start to have this anticipatory dread about it. And then I I go through with it and I enjoy it. But I'm like, what is that anticipatory dread? Why do I have that? It's because like I there's more accountability when you hang out with someone in person. You know, like there's uh-huh. you show up, you're present. And uh-huh. that's, you know, those are good things. They are, but they're, they're a little daunting now because we're so spoiled and, and interconnected through technology. I find that because the, the, I do this a lot. So mm-hmm. I, I have to be present for this. But, you know, to really show up for someone's feelings and, and be an active listener, be in a relationship with somebody, there, there are moments where you're like, I, I know I'm built to handle this. I, <laughs> I, I know you, you can't just turn this off. Yeah. Do you have rules around technology, you know, in your life? Um, I tr- try when I, when I write to establish some kind of rules of like unplug, you know, turn the airport off. You know, turn the Wi-Fi off. Do so you I have can... that thing on your computer that's sort of like an adult child pr- thing where you... An you adult turn... babysitter. Yeah. They have those. No, I know. I have not used those yet, but I have some, like, writer, fiction writer friends that are like... What's it called? I, it's Isn't it called, like, I don't know, it's something lock or like... Yeah, yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, basically, like, you cannot access the internet for, you know, you type in... It's voluntary, yeah. Yeah, it's voluntary. And it won't let you... Yeah. Like, even if you're like, come on! No. Yeah, <laughs> usually computers don't respond to that anyway. They do Some, now. My phone Siri, will. Siri will. I, but, I asked. I asked Siri a question the other night. I asked, "How do I remain present?" And it did not understand me. Yeah, that's it's tricky. I the Siri thing is a little bit weird to me because I've had a couple of friends like we'll be in a group situation and somebody will be trying to figure out where to you know where can we where's the gas station where can we eat and they're talking to siri meanwhile we've all figured it out that's right that happens all the time gps have caused more fights with uh with my my girlfriend and my than i can even imagine there used to be a time where we would remember things like i think that ultimately in the long term this is going to make us stupid yeah because we used to be able to sort of like okay turn right and then all right i can remember that and you did (laughs) And now you're like, oh, you're in the car like three minutes. I go, well, look it up. Just search it. And it's yeah. panic. Yeah. Well, like, what What about intuition? Like, that's just starting to drain. Like, I, I find myself just looking at that little blue line as I'm moving along on my GPS. Yeah. yeah. Like, if I just, like, lifted my head up, I could also oh, I know probably- where I am. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And the, and the thrill of being lost without being mad at a machine. Remember that? Oh, yeah. It's like, we'll just find it. We'll ask a person. I know. I remember stopping and asking sure. directions. I remember touring in Europe, um, and we would drive. We drove into town, and our tour manager just hailed a cab. Like got out of our yeah. car, hailed a cab, and asked the cab driver to take us there. Like there was just like, you had to be very creative about getting places. Well, there came a time too where I realized that people no longer knew anything. That like there was this idea like let's just stop at a gas station and ask them. It's like they don't fucking no one's they don't know right. where it is. Why did we get this thing in our head that people at gas stations know where people <laughs> are going? Because there was some uh, mythology around. What's well, a local gas station? We're it's, we're not we're new to this neighborhood, but people don't know anything. I can ask people in this neighborhood what's across the street, and they're like, I don't, I'm not, I don't. Okay, I'm not from here. Except yeah. that they are. Yeah. yeah, it's weird. Yeah, I think we defer to these machines. I asked a question I hadn't asked in a long time the other day at the dog park, which was, what time is it? Which, because normally I didn't have my phone on me. And actually, the, the woman looked at me like it was an inappropriate question. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? That is such a personal question. <laughs> was this in Portland? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How kind, what kind of dog? Uh, I have two dogs, actually. One is a German wire-haired pointer mix. They both look like hunting dogs. The other one is um, 
kind of ha- houndy looking. No cats. No, I have. I have. Um, I lost my cat where he he died, but he was my favorite. Sorry. No, it's okay. But I'm. I just. I just wanted to set up that I'm like not an anti cat uh, person. How old did a cat live? He uh, he lived until he was ten, so he died pretty. That's not old enough. He should be. Yeah. Older. Yeah. Oh, that's that's sad. Yeah, it's, you know, I like animals. I did a lot of volunteering at my local humane society. You do now? I don't have as much time, but I did for many years. How do you volunteer at the humane society? What do you do? Oh, I did a lot. I it was right after. Um, actually, it was I started the last year that Slater Kinney was a band, but once the band broke up, forget it. I was I literally won volunteer of the year. <laughs> I volunteered so many hours. I did dog walking. There's two different shifts, so you you know I would take the morning shift. I would get there seven in the morning were you with like a group of dogs were you no like- you can't because they, they don't really know that much oh. about each dog so they don't do a lot of group things right but so you you know one at a time but you were on a team of dog walkers right you know go in there clean out the cages take them on a walk i did um lobby hosting which was to take a dog that could actually like wasn't too freaky or damaged and hang out in the lobby and greet people you just sit there with the dog yeah and you know people come in and you say like you know, this is Pepper. Yeah, Pepper got thrown out of a building. But yeah. look, he's okay. His face is weird and he doesn't have a foot, but he's a good dog. Yeah, he's great with kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was always like so many things that they could not You did that with. after the band broke up? Yeah. Was you, were you dealing with grief and sadness? Yeah, and you know you know, it's a great way to deal with any emotion is to channel that into, project that onto an animal. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> project everything onto an animal. Yeah. You're so sad. You're so lonely. What are you going to do with yeah. your life? Oh, look at you. You, you don't play guitar anymore any, enough. <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah. I just played so much guitar with those dogs. Did you? <laughs> no. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't play guitar for many years. But anyway, I did love- Really? You put the axe down? I did. Like just put it away? Kind of. I sold uh, a couple of amplifiers. You know, what kind of amp do you use? Um, at the end of Slater Kinney, I had, I had a Vox AC30, an orange, and I also had a- um, God, you're such a fucking rock person. Super, uh, super reverb. Like an old Vox? You know, I didn't. Not, I did not tour with an old Vox. Those things are are so finicky. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And but all tubes. Yeah, all tubes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I got rid of some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I liken it to like how you know, like you take off a wedding ring after a divorce, and you're just like, you just you don't want to pull. The, look at that again. I know, you know, but you still see that dumb indention on your finger for a good four or five months. Yeah, no, that was like the the calluses. Oh, you felt your calluses <laughs> go away. Yeah, and you dealt with that. I dealt with that fine, yeah, but it, it is a little weird because it's, you know, it's like literally just like you feel like you've built up this resistance. Like that's just years. You earned it. Yeah, and then they go away and you and have these like, like oh. soft little hands. And... Oh, no, and you got to start on a nylon string again, like a little <laughs> Yamaha. <laughs> yeah, so on a child's guitar. No, yeah, it was it was pretty weird. I remember playing again and just ripping my hands to shreds. You're proud though, right? It's like you just see that weird flap of skin come off and just to keep going. You're Eat like, it. You're coming yeah. back. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, and I'm really bad at picking on so, picking things too. So like, yeah, it's not good for me to have any little danglies on my. Just pick them off. I don't know how the hell you quit guitar for three years uh, without going crazy. I mean, I, I don't play in bands, but I I got to play to keep my sanity. Was it? Were you that upset? No, it, it, that totally makes it sound like it was like. Tragic. Never again. Yeah. No, it was. It wasn't like that. I I was relieved actually. We I it's developed a lot of anxiety around touring, and it, I just associated all of it with just feeling unhealthy 
Like, and I'm not an unhealthy person. Like, I'm not, I don't have like an addictive personality. I didn't like do damage to myself on tour. It just, but I would just get these tour related illnesses. Like, every stress illness you could have, I would get. Like, I would go on tour and my body was just like basically screaming at me, like, stop. Like, you're going to get shingles. You're going to get. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, yeah, you're yeah, going to yeah. have them. Hives. Yeah. And... Just, oh, yeah. Hives. I went to the emergency room twice, like, just blowing up with hives and like face swelling. Oh, my God. And it was, you know, that's just. You have to at some point listen to yourself or your body. And I, so I, I think there was part of me that just, it was kind of a relief. It wasn't even so much sad to put the guitar away. It was like, yeah, just goodbye. Like, just chill out for a while. And where were you guys? You were at the top of your game. You were a big act. You were filling what, 800 seaters, 1,200 seaters? Yeah, like bigger. Like, yeah, 1,500, 2,000. It was, uh-huh. you know, yeah, we do. I mean, in some ways, I think we went out at, a good time. I mean, looking back on it, you think like better to go out when people still want you around. Right. You know, you don't want to just go up and then you kind of start to go back down and no one cares. And <laughs> that's, you know, yeah, we, were, just, we were fortunate. They're still doing the same thing. That yeah. thing. And yeah. was the band still getting along? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I think my anxiety was a strain on the, on the band. And you were the front person, right? In Slater Kinney, we more had a uh, Corin Tucker was, was, the voice. You, and you know, were she, the guitar. I was more on guitar. We both sang. We both sang songs, but she, you know, she sort of had the that voice that was like could pin people to a wall. You know, it was sort of the the deal breaker voice. Either people thought it was great and unique, or people just did not get it. Who sings on Wild Flag? You, right? Me and there's another woman, Mary Timoney. And is anyone from Sweeter Candy in the band? The drummer Janet. And that's and, it. Yeah, but I'm still friends with. Corin is still one of my best friends, and and Janet's also one of my closest friends. So, despite going through that kind of rough phase of the band of Slater Kinney, and then the breakup, which does end up feeling a little bit divorce like, we're still really good friends. Now, wasn't wasn't it always assumed that you were in a relationship with her? Corin and I d- dated for like a second when we were, you know, nineteen and twenty, right? You know, and she's like married with two kids now, and really, you know, yeah. I mean, it was just that people really focus on that, even though it's like. In my mind, I'm like, doesn't everybody do right, that? Right, right, 1920. It's like you're supposed to. We had to feel things out. Yeah, I mean, it's just sort of... But that got hung on you. In, oh, God. In the... Like, in such a... Yeah. I mean, it's it's fine, you know? It's like, I have nothing to hide, but it was just one of those things, like, you know... It, still, I remember, like, reading a review and, like... Uh, we played a show in New York, Slater Kinney, and there was, like... The reviewer, like, mentioned that. It was, like, years later. Like, Corin had... You know, it's like... I'd just been to Corn's wedding. It was yeah. just like, yeah, okay, let's, you know. It's oh. called college. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's also, you know, you know, it's, again, people, if you don't provide people with a narrative, yeah. people will provide one for you. And and we were never good at, like, self-mythologizing in Slater Kinney. Like, we were so, Olympia and punk and the Northwest, it was so earnest. It's like, you didn't, you didn't realize that you could actually create, like, a whole mythology. Like, it was just like, nope, this is who we are, just stripped down. Like, yeah, yeah. And later, you see all these other sort of, wiser like a little bit more sure they hire mythologizers yeah exactly yeah, and hire a company yeah right. and you rewrite the story yeah you know and th- we we just never did that and i think when you don't do that someone will just fill it in for you did you did you have any jobs real jobs in between Sweeter kenny and whatever's going on now yeah i uh well i actually ended up getting so much into the uh humane society world that they did hire me in their training and behavior department and i I taught classes. Like I actually assisted um, dog training classes, which was really fun. And then 
I worked for a little while at an advertising agency in Portland called Wyden and Kennedy. A mythologizing agency. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And I figured it out. I was like, ah, damn yeah, it. Damn it. I wish I had known. Yeah. That you just lie. Yeah. You just, you're a product <laughs> and a brand and you give yourself a catchphrase and a tagline and you fucking do it. Was that from Portlandia? Was that sort of based? There's a scene in a, was it an advertising agency? Yeah. And that was Wyden and Kennedy. That was based partially on my experience. And then our director, Jonathan Kreisel, had also worked spent I think even a little more time than me in advertising and it was just sort of our collective experience. Was that the actual building? Yeah. Oh they let you shoot over there? They did yeah. And you're on good terms with everyone over there? Yeah you know again this is another one of those things where I have talked about this job in interviews before and people want it to seem like this it, it was a bad experience actually it was well, you're punk man it's fucking advertising when did you snap <laughs> it was actually gr- it was actually great like for one because i think if you're involved in any singular community comedy right. music it can start to feel small and like even if you live in a big city you think i know everyone here sure and i show up at wyden and kennedy and i was like oh my god i have 400 new friends you know it was it felt like switching high schools or sure. something yeah and um there's it's also a lot of creative people there you know no, advertise like that's uh one of the weird double-edged things about it, is that so many people some of the funniest most creative people in the world gravitate towards that business yeah well it, it actually pays and it's consistent and but yeah i mean there's very hey if you can live with it and you're you're yeah. with an agency that isn't sort of like uh you know branding the new hitler or something you should be all right <laughs> yes those people should feel bad yeah i think so <laughs> um but yeah the yeah you know it's it's pretty creative people so so armison he's in town yeah you're, you're gonna do a thing tonight mm-hmm. At, what is the live portlandia experience exactly you know, a, a friend of ours came up with an app descriptor last night, which was "it's shaggy," mm. and it it is it's it's a it has an unrefined casualness to it. It's more about just you know both of us are used to in with him on SNL or doing uh, stand up, and then me and music having this more immediate connection to an audience and just having that you know dynamic where sure. it can feel kind of spontaneous and. So it's, is it more promotional than it is sort of a show? It's both because, yeah. you know, of, of course, IFC was excited because, oh, yeah, you guys are going to promote the show this way. But for us, we don't want to just get up there and be like, yeah, hey, you know, there's a... It'll be on. Yeah. It's coming. <laughs> yeah. Watch the, ne- the whole sketch later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's just bullshit. So we, you know, we play music, we show clips, we do Q&A, show slides. I mean, we, <clears throat> we kind of wrote a little variety show and it's fun and we bring people on stage it's sort of about like exploring other cities. Uh-huh. It's like, okay, what's local about this place? And it's it's fun. It's like, do you go out as characters, or what do you mean explore? I mean, actually, like we bring people up on stage, and we 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 really figure it out. Like, oh, really? <laughs> in like kind of an anthropological way. Oh, that's good. It's, it's just fun. Um, we do do a couple characters, but not not a lot. A lot of it's it's just more like. Hey, come hang out in our living room if our living room was a right. club. And it seems that where you guys meet is there's a, a vulnerability to you know you're not banging anyone over the head, and it seems to come natural somehow. It's good. Yeah, I think we do. We both are. Yeah, you, no one's ever used that word, but it's pretty apt. But there's a little bit of vulnerability in there. <laughs> yeah, Fred is nicer than me. I think he's 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 sweeter. Well, when I first met you, I thought you hated my guts. I I know. I just, but you know what? I am, I can be, I've had friends call me out on that a little bit. Like, oh my God, you were just like, and I don't even really notice it. Like part of it is just my version of not even shyness, but just like discomfort. I also have this, it's, and, um. Yeah, and I, I have done, I've done plenty of backpedaling in my day, just. Well, I I think I went up to you and I was like, um, 
I said, I think I met your husband. And I... Yes. Right. This was not that long ago. Right. It was at John Benjamin has a van premiere. Yeah. And, and right. And, and I was like, like that's you know, not me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's... Was that Corrin's husband? I yeah. Know? Lance. Bates. He's a nice guy. I met him upstate New York, right? Yeah. Lance. He was shooting oh, something. Oh, Maurice Sendak probably. Was it during that whole thing? I don't remember what he was shooting, but he's a documentary guy, right? Yeah. I met him at... Uh, at I was doing a show with Eugene Merman in Ithaca. I don't know okay. what he was shooting. Do they live up there or they don't live up there? Oh, he's oh, at a he, wedding. He's from Ithaca. Yeah. So he right. might... He was at a wedding. Yeah. No, Lance is great. Yeah, and if, what an inappropriate reaction on my part! Like, you're all you're doing is referencing friends of mine. It's not like you're like, are you married to that asshole or something? Like, no, I just I, had you confused. I know. And, I, yeah. and then of course after that, everyone was like, she's gay, and I'm like, no, she didn't see what. And they're like, oh, <laughs> did I fuck up everything? And then, well, no, not none of those things are true. Yeah, so it's just one. Of, yeah, but <laughs> that's such an annoying reaction on my part. Like I, that, I was like, oh no, that's that's my dear friend Corin. You're talking about Lance, like. Let's just reenact it where I get to be really polite. Okay. Hey, I think I met your husband in Ithaca. Oh, no. That's actually my friend Corin Tucker's husband. Oh, that's I'm Lance. sorry. Yeah. But you were in the band together, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, it's really nice to meet it's you. Nice to meet you, too. God, that worked out really well yeah. that time. <laughs> yeah. God. Because the way I remember it, you went to, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I did. Such an asshole. Like, yeah. Somebody, I, I was just telling a friend a, a story about being rude to um, Peter Buck from R.E.M. when I was a, in my very early 20s and he came to us later Kenny show. I sometimes have like this just, it's so irreverent. It's so just, it's really, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I do think you're right that it comes from shyness though. It's like there's mm-hmm. a defensiveness that, you, you, you know, when you're a public person and, you know, especially when you're in a rock band or even as a comic, um, you, you can't walk around like an open wound all the time. You know. Yeah, no, I mean, it's you're being generous by saying it's only shyness. I mean, I think part of it, too, is I think defensiveness is, is a good it's that's definitely thrown in the mix, too, of just sort of not like that first little interaction is so important that if like you don't feel like there's a way in or something, yeah. all of a sudden it's just like doesn't exist. But I what'd you do to Peter Buck? Oh, God. So we were playing Slater Kenny was playing this club called the Crocodile, which at the, I think his wife at the time used to book. And we're in Georgia. No, he was actually up in Seattle. He okay. moved to Seattle. Um, oh, that place is still around, right? Seattle. No, yeah, <laughs> no, kind of. Cro- What's left of it? The crocodile. I hear they call it Redmond now. The entire <laughs> the campus is what it's called. Yeah. Um, no, the crocodile. Yeah, it shut down for a couple of years, and now it's back. Yeah, Patton did a show there. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Yeah. Um, so we played, and Peter Buck was there, mm-hmm. and I mean, here's a guy. It doesn't matter whether you were a huge REM fan or just whatever. Yeah, it's Peter Buck. It's Peter Buck. <laughs> this is a band that changed the landscape <laughs> yeah. of music. Yeah. Ushered in college rock. Yeah. You know. Lots of bands wouldn't exist right. if not for them and his very unique style of guitar playing, which was very cool. He comes, I'm running down the stairs after from the backstage after we play. I mean, I probably was literally 23. Yeah. Still doesn't matter. He says, hey, uh, I'm, I'm Peter Buck. Uh, I just wanted to say, you know, great show, but you probably don't need to hear that from me. I'm just an old guy. Yeah. And I went, Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> I just walked away. <laughs> you did not. And I got in in trouble later. Well, I mean, of course, I should get in trouble. I should be scolded and reprimanded. But about like a year later, he was actually people actually confuse Corin and I all the time. He was doing something with Corin Tucker, my bandmate, and the, someone went to introduce them, and he was like, "No, no, no, we've met. She's very rude." Really? And she, Corin called me and was like, "You are a jerk." 
Like this is what here is a band that I love that my husband is friends with because they all were in Athens together. And uh-huh. now he thinks like I'm a total bitch. Wow. Yeah. So he held on to it. Oh, yeah. And we since then, I, I um have apologized. How'd that go? It was fine. I mean, it was very casual. I think I sort of was like, I'm so sorry. I was really rude to you once. Like it wasn't we didn't have like we didn't do a sit down. And did he go? And you are? I, he should have. <laughs> He's the he's the better person. He should have put me in my place. Uh, no, I mean, there's there's never any excuse for rudeness. I'm really, um, yeah, I'm just I'm a little feisty sometimes, and I just you know it's like it's almost like a knee jerk reaction, and then, but at the same time, I'm I always want to be liked, so it's totally at odds of that because I'm I'm actually it's a, it's interesting you found your way to comedy because that's the uh, that's the comedian disposition. Hey, fuck you, like me? <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Just, <laughs> the worst did you do you have siblings yeah i have a younger sister and you and what what was uh what was your old man's racket he was a lawyer oh yeah corporate lawyer wow your mom teacher oh okay it's a good balance yeah they're not together anymore they're not together my mom and her husband actually just moved back to seattle after leaving for california for many years Uh and my dad retired and moved to the central part of the state which is high desert like once you pass the cascades it's it's just high desert. I don't know if you've ever. Well, your dad just wanted out, huh? Yeah, he really he wanted out. <laughs> he left yeah. Chicago and went to Seattle. Now he's in the desert, the he, high desert. He literally is in a straw bale house. This is a guy that I thought didn't give a shit about the environment. I actually don't think he does. Yeah, <laughs> but he's in a very eco, uh-huh. like straw bale house with a uh, solar panel. Oh yeah, he probably likes it. Like, look at this. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 pretty weird, but yeah. it's yeah, it's cool. It's filthy. Oh really? Yeah. I mean, it's just he just. Like with straw bale, like I always just think like there's rats in the wall, right? Like what is it? It's straw. It's literally like stuck, and the walls are um, th- there's no right angles because it's just you know it's like straw and then it's covered like covered in stucco or plastic. So it's not, it's only, so it's not adobe because adobe is just mixed with straw a bit. Adobe yeah. bricks is mud. Yeah. Right. No, this is much more like the the walls are also really really thick. So how do you know if bugs are eating it or not? I don't. I mm. just, based on his level of cleanliness, I think, Dad, there might be bugs and yeah. rodents and, and stuff like that. And what's he say? He's not worried about it. <laughs> He's doing fine. He's a great guy. I love my dad. We're really close. But really? I, when I get there, I love to just get a broom out. Oh, really? Yeah. Do, what, what, you, you have a few minutes? <laughs> yeah. No problem. <laughs> now, what's this, uh, the book you wrote? I have not written a book. I'm not. That's one thing that. Did you are are you just procrastinating? Or? I'm majorly procrastinating. Did you take an extension? I took an extension, but I think that 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 book is not going to happen. It's oh. going to kind of we're going to re sort of work it into something else. It was I oh that was why did I forget to mention that I worked for NPR for years um, and wrote a blog music blog for them. That was my main job after Slater Kinney music writing. Yeah, and I loved it, but um, so I. Got a book deal, which is, you know, very excited about, very proud, and then got sidetracked with other things that I love. But I really, like, it's just the word fail is, like, flashing through my head right now. Like, It's I, hard to write a book, man. Yeah, it's... I got a book deal now. I'm freaking out about it. I've got enough words written, but I don't know if they're good words. Oh, my gosh. I felt like I was just basically, like, dumping letters onto a page. It's, it's, you know? Yeah. I could not make sense of it at all like in the short form writing i was doing for npr didn't you have enough of that to make a book yeah but they didn't want and i didn't really want just like a essay you know they wanted more of like a through line of my own story a little more memoiristic and not just a series of like disparate essays and i just it was like 
I could never look at it microscopically. I was always looking at the big picture and then I would sit down to like the big picture is horrendous. Yeah. And it's just, and I, it ended up being really hard. Like there was hours would go by. I was like, how have I not physically? I, I, I'm, yeah, the I'm level, living this. <laughs> yeah, the level of procrastination gets really crazy, but it's not it, procrastination. What people don't realize it's just paralysis. It's fear. It's weirdness. And, you know, and everyone would be like, you know, read the, uh, read the war of art and do this or do that. Or you just got to sit there and do it. But that's maybe true. But unless you're really uh, acclimated to it, you know, sometimes it could take three days to get two pages. I know. <laughs> I know. And I, wa- I did a lot of other things in the meantime. So that day you took that extension, you were like, I need a, I need a, I'm taking an incomplete. That's how it felt. Uh, it just felt like a, a big F. But I, um, yeah, I think my friends that are good at writing, what they do is they write, they get up and they yeah. get themselves in front of their computer and they tune out all distraction and they write, even if it's not something they're going to keep or use. Yeah. Um, and I, when I was writing for NPR, I had a little bit more of that discipline because well, it was yeah. a day-to-day thing. Yeah, an office, right? No, I worked from home, oh. which is always, which is it's also tough. Yeah, because yeah. there's dishes to be done. And oh, I could not even sweep. S- start writing until yeah. the house was clean. Oh, of course not. You dog, know, got to walk the dog and make yeah. coffee. Yeah. And it's already one. <laughs> no, it's like four by then. <laughs> and it's dinner time. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty sad. So, all right. So no book in the works right now, but you're regrouping. I'm regrouping. And then the new album is, how long has that been out? Wild Flag album came out in September. Oh, really? 2011, yeah. It's a great record. Thanks, Mark. And are you doing another record? Yeah, we're, we have a handful of new songs. And when I'm not doing Portlandia, we're trying to write. One of my bandmates lives in Washington, D.C., so we already kind of have this like slight disadvantage of just not having sort of an organic What band writing. is she from? She was in Helium. Do you remember mm. that band? They were from Kinda. Boston. Yeah. yeah. Um, she's a great guitar player, kind of cool, mysterious vibe, but we just don't. Yeah, we we don't have that much time to write, but we have a bunch of touring. Yeah. And I love touring, as I talked yeah, about. Good. No, maybe I... you should bring some creams and salves with Ew. you. To... <laughs> I don't think I like the word salve. I don't either. No one uses it. It's an outdated word. I yeah. just pulled it out Also, of that L is a little tricky. Weird. Yeah. Salve. Some people say something else. It's salve? Salve. Yeah, yeah. Old ladies say salve. Yeah, but there is, there, there's an L in there. I know. Yeah. Just... Well, hopefully we won't, uh, you won't crumble. Thank you. From the inside. And the new season of Portlandia, which we talked about a bit, i got to catch up. That's okay. I listen to your records. No, hey. What's more important? Oh, wow. That's a, no one's asked me that question. They're- Be honest. You know. The records. That, well, you know, they're both important. <laughs> but it doesn't, to me, but that doesn't mean I can predict or determine what's more important to you. What do you like doing better? When I'm doing those specific things, I like doing that better. I honestly, like I'm, I feel like Portlandia. I, yeah. Portlandia right now, I think is, well, what I like about it is it's just, it feels different. There's something, I love playing music. Touring has always been a conundrum for me. Yeah. You know, just, it's so fragmentary. You like being home. But then I get restless. Sure. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm full of contradictions and I'm usually just dissatisfied. Wow, is that the name of the next album? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's really catchy. It's well, I mean, it's a art it's an artist disposition. You know what I mean? The next's always the next thing, and no matter how good the thing is, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, what's around and what's yeah. next? Yeah, but, what do we got going now? Yeah, but I do love I love being on stage and I I love playing in, in Wild Flag. Have you have you is this the first time you really acted? 
I actually, when I was a kid, I did acting before I did music. Mm. You know, I was in school plays and took like theater and improv classes as in the summers, like for as a camp to oh, go really? to. Yeah, Jewish camp? No, not J camp. <laughs> See, I know it's called J camp. Good for you. That's very. <laughs> So we'll put that in the plus column of your Judaism culturally. Thank you. You know J Camp. <laughs> reference, so, reference J Camp. Then someone gave you a guitar and that was it. Yeah, kind of, you know, yeah. it was like all of a sudden that was the lens through which I wanted to see everything because it was so immediate and yeah. it was just like so antagonistic and it just seemed to just meet up with all of the sort of angstiness that I had. And so I stopped acting and doing, you know, I, yeah. I thought that's what I was going to do. And then it just didn't hold any of the power that music held for me so it wasn't it wasn't totally crazy that you know it wasn't like a total surprise to me right are you are you less angry i think so i hope so you you, you're very fortunate in that you've you sort of been able to uh to grow up and and do a a number of different things and still uh, remain relevant and creative it's definitely like i need to no matter what i'm doing like i need to wake up in the morning and feel like I'm relevant, if not to the general public, then at least to myself. So if it wasn't Portlandia or whatever, I would I would find a way. Like I'm not, it's very, I think if you have a certain amount of success yeah. when you're young, which I was fortunate to, enough to have, even though it was indie rock, nothing major, you know, you don't want that to be, wow, like peaking in your 20s. That's almost as bad yeah. as like, you know, being popular in high school and having that be the best or time. Or being a child actor. Or being a child actor. That's, yeah. yeah. I think the earlier you peak and if you're always looking back, if you're looking back to five years of age as your yeah. best year. Uh, brutal. Dark times. Sure. Well, you know, the, I think the one great thing is that uh, the Humane Society will always be there. <laughs> I have thought that too. Thanks for talking, Carrie. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Okay, that's our show, folks. What a lovely chat. A lot of guitar talk, but that's all right. Hey, uh, I will be at the Denver Comedy Works April 6th and 7th. You should come to that if you live in that area or are close by. It's going to be some good shows. It's a great comedy room. Also, what else? Go to WTFPod.com. Get all your WTF Pod uh, needs met. Get an app. Get a, get a T-shirt. Get a poster. Uh, get on the mailing list. I'll mail you something every Sunday. You can get some. Wait, hold it. Pow! Wow. I just shit my pants. Just coffee.coopcoffee at WTFpod.com. And you can also uh, comment on things, which is always touch and go with me. Boomer. Boomy. Come here, Boomy. I swear to God, this cat exists. He was just in here. Boomer. Come here, Boomer. What? He's, he's not out there? Boomer's a real cat. He's laying in the sun. There you go. I'll send pictures later. <laughs>